When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of our in-season offense-focused series, the OC Office Hour. And joining me today is the offensive coordinator for XFL Team Houston, Austin James Smith. AJ, great to have you back on the podcast again. Uh, no, thank you, Keith. So you have the luxury this fall of sitting back and watching some games as you prep and get ready for your season, which will be in the spring but it's always fun to sit back and see some of the patterns evolve, see some of the trends evolve. And I know you've been picking up on a lot of those. Yeah. Usually when I'm in season, you can't focus too much on what other people are doing. You got to focus on yourself. And then that's your whole off season study is kind of going backwards, but interesting with this schedule of our training camp starting in January, we're, we're kind of going forward. We're, we're keeping up to date. Got my uh, all 22 sent in uh, every Monday of college and NFL. And we're keeping up with, with what's happening in the pro game and the college game. So what are you seeing right now? Where, where do you see the game heading with some of the trends that are evolving? And I know they're distinctly different this year between the college and the pro. Well, I would say with the college game, because it's, it's two different things I'm seeing. But with college, if you see one college football game, 85% chance you've seen them all. All the offenses are starting to look the same. But if you look through the course of history, that's what college football's always kind of done. And, and then these offenses just disappear. And I don't know why it is this way, but in the last 20 years, there's there's no more naming offenses, right? There used to be the Veer and the Wishbone and the West Coast offense and the run and shooting area. Now it's just offense, right? And what you're seeing now in college football is everybody. Uh, outside of a few few teams that stay true to you know their their philosophy and being different in schematics, whether or not that's triple option or air raid, is you're seeing a heavy dose of eleven personnel tempo running the same five RPOs, same inside run game, and the same type of play action slash quarterback boots. Everybody's doing it in major college football, and I just think that's interesting. I don't know if you call that the 11-tempo RPO offense, but with those plays I just mentioned, that's that's an offense in a box right there that everybody in the game's doing. Well, I think part of this, in, in looking back on football history, is a function of how accessible everything is now to coaches. So. If you go back and you read Homer Smith's, one of, one of his books, you know, self-published books, one was called History, and he goes through the history of the offenses and how they evolved and the defense that evolved to stop them and then what the evo offense evolved into or the new offense that came in vogue. But I think part of that, too, is, is you went out and you learned an entire offense and you had to spend your time doing that. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go here, look, look at this, and then I'm going to get online and and pick up this over here 
And I think just now with the technology, you see how this is spread, even with what happened in the pandemic, I think jumped it forward even more with how things are so accessible and everybody can learn all these different things. And you're right. It's offense now, right? There's, there's no naming these things. You could throw a, a, you know, a little nickname on stuff, but truthfully, you know, what one team is doing is a lot like the other team is doing and they may call themselves distinctly different types of offense. Right. And here's what's crazy to me. I'm, I'm seeing these trends and we can get into some schematics on maybe I'll call one of these uh, the RPO of the year, which I'm seeing every single game I watch. But if we go by almost like a crypto chart, okay, how the how everything evolves and changes, well, history of the chart on offense shows us, and it's kind of crazy to think that this could possibly happen, but look at history and I'll go through it. Uh, in 20 years, nobody will be running this offense. Okay, where is, let's go back 20 years, where 85% of college football was under center and two backs. Maybe it's a little bit further back than that 25 years, you know, right into the early 90s, late 80s. It was under center, two backs, maybe had a tight end, maybe had three wide receiver sets. Okay, if you looked at it right now, nobody in college football ran that formation, got under center this year or maybe even the last five years. Right. That formation, that offense is extinct. Okay, go back 25 years further. What was being run by 85 percent of college football in the in the 70s? Well, was the wishbone, right? And maybe a, a, a version of the, the split back veer. <laughs> For the last 40 years, nobody has ran to wishbone. So you just talked about the involvement and where we are now. I'm thinking 20 years down the line, like what's it going to be then? Because the trend is everybody in college football kind of copies that offense of the day and gets it tight. And I think the biggest reason why is because these guys are not professional athletes at the end of the day. And offensive coaches are doing their part and their job is like, hey, what's the most explosive offense we can put together while these guys have to go to class? You know, they have all this other stuff they got going on and being a student. And then these hours we get them, we got to get them the easiest offense we can put together and go score points, which is what you're seeing in the game is a lot of points scored now because of where the offenses have evolved. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And, and I really believe in, in looking through history and things do come back but they come back different right mm-hmm. so you could look at for example the idea of the, the running quarterback and go back to the single wing well yeah a lot of that came back now distinctly different with that guy and all the things they're doing with him you look at just some of the schemes that that uh, become popular and then go away for a little bit and, and a lot of this is just answers to some of the things that are happening defensively. I think all of this is happening at a much faster pace than it did in the past. So, you know, you say 20 years, but I think now this is sped along a little bit. I don't know if it's now 10, 15, five, but, you know, I think the evolution of the game is going to continue at a rapid pace with things coming in and out of offenses and defenses as a response to something popular that's happening this year. Yeah, that's a great point you mentioned about what's happening defensively. And I'm seeing a trend starting to go back uh, the other way. But a lot of this works on offense because of the fact that everybody on defense got enamored with four deep zone, match coverage, all that type of stuff. And when I see that, I I just say that's give up defense. 
and now teams are adding a gap, RPO and off guys are trying to match and they're doing a good job exploiting it. And what I would see coming back is single high coverage, cover three, right? People got out of that because they're so worried about four verticals. You don't really see a true four vertical team anymore where they're, they're trying to exploit cover three. And uh, I could see cover three, cover one coming back in a, a strong way, trying to you know catch up to some of these offense and it, it circles back. And uh, yeah, so uh, let, let's talk about the RPO of the year and let's, let's see if uh, yours, yours and I's agrees right here. What do you say? Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. What are you seeing? Okay. Everybody's doing this to where let's, uh, let's say it's two by two and we got two receivers to the right and 11 personnel, a tight end off the ball and to the left and then a receiver out of X. Well, we're going to go RPO. And so we're inside zone and we're, we're not going to use a, a technique where the left tackle stays and blocks the end. He's going to be up the field. It's true inside zone. The Y is going to run a flat route and the quarterback's going to read that in. If that end squeezes at all, he's, you know, he's going to run around and he's looking to throw to the flat route to the tight end where the X or the, you know, the receiver over there is blocking that corner. Okay. Well, that's not the end of the play because what if, what if the wheel didn't squeeze? Because the quarterback's really not, you know, going second level reading if the wheel squeezed or not. Uh, you know, they're being coached not to care. It's all about the end. Because if the wheel comes over there and covers that flat route, well, then the quarterback pumps it, and now the tight end turns to the next level and blocks the guy that's actually covering him, and then the quarterback takes off and he runs. So right there – you have three different plays in, in, in one play, which is true inside zone, play action, throw it to the flat screen, or it's play action or run fake, run around the end, and it turns into QB arc if the wheel's out there covering them. I mean, I'm seeing that play <laughs> every game. Everybody's running that, especially if you have a quarterback who, who's running. So I'm calling that RPO of the year. Yeah, I, I see it quite a bit. I've, I've even seen that at the high school level and they're, mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of similar things too as far as personnel and like you said guys going to class what's the most explosive offense we can put on the field so yeah definitely I would agree with you RPO of the year right there and you, you mentioned just everybody doing the same things right in same mm-hmm. runs same play actions so in regard to the same run same play action what what's the trend there? Uh, you know, you know, it's inside zone, outside zone. Mm-hmm. And how can we split flow with it? And then how can we pop the tight end out? So again, staying with most of these uh, quarterbacks out here, pretty, pretty athletic these days. You know, you're seeing them fake the split zone and then boot around and they're looking for that tight end or an over out behind it. I mean, every everybody's doing that. And maybe the Z runs a comeback or a post but he's going to high-low the weak side flat defender. And, hey, if everybody's covered, that quarterback's going to take off. And uh, that's – I see that. And, and here's the reason why. It all goes back to philosophy, not so much schematics. With the offense we're talking about, this is a run to set up the pass offense. And so when you sit there and run these things, run these things, those play actions become a lot bigger. And I think it fits everybody's philosophy that it's just so, you know, everybody is real big on run emphasis and running the football. It just, it fits with what they do. And so whether it's play action or RPO, 
you know, when they pass, it's like, well, we passed because they, they took away the run and, you know, our RPO made us right. What I see happening is a lot of these teams that are passing for 300 yards a game, if it wasn't for RPOs, they'd probably be passing for 150 to 200 yards per game. But now they're being seen as passing teams or a balanced team. Some even call them air raid when they're completely not. There's just so many RPOs going out there. It fits within their philosophy of run to set up the pass, and it kind of skews the stats in a way, but it's it fits right into their philosophy, and, and they've opened up and started not to care whether or not they got it through the air or, or through, the, through the ground as long as it fits what they're doing in the RPO game. The, the saying that the run game is the quarterback's best friend, right? If you have a good run game going, some of those things are going to open up naturally in the RPO and the play action. And I think it's interesting, you know, play action, it felt like for a lot of teams, wasn't in their playbook for a while as we got into RPOs. And you even hear guys talk at clinics, well, uh, you know, RPO is my play action and RPO is my quick game. And you see both of those things back in now. And I think there's a time and, and place for both of them uh, because you still have to stretch the defense Vertically, and I know you could get into those those third level RPOs. But oh yeah, those, those are in existence. <laughs> yeah, you get the the floods to the other side, and and thing it attacks in a different way, right? So you're you're going to put different stresses on the defense. I think I watched North Carolina, maybe no, 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 it was Wake Forest. I was watching Wake Forest versus Vanderbilt, and they went RPO. And the slowest RPO I've ever seen in the history of football, almost a three-second mesh. And that quarterback pulled it and threw a post route about 45 yards down the field. And uh, you're, you're starting to see that become kind of a new trend is these slow, slow RPOs to see if we can get to that third-level touchdown. Yeah, I think I saw Stanford maybe doing that as well. And when yep. I first saw Wake doing that, I, they've been doing it at least four years now, maybe a little bit longer, but you know, first saw them doing it. I was just so interested in what was going on there. Everybody's in sync because that offensive line, the way they're blocking it, they're not quick to climb the level two. I mean, they're really working to displace level one. And because that mesh is so slow, they're literally at times walking the ball to the line of scrimmage and yeah. trying to get the linebackers to, to trigger quick. Cause if they do, that's where they get them, right? This is in, and then on top of it, like you said, holding the ball for three plus seconds. I mean, three plus seconds in drop back. You know, if you're not the ball's not out by then. I mean, your your quarterback's scrambling or leaving the pocket most of the time. If he's not if he's not sacked, these guys are three plus, and they're hitting you know glance posts down the field without anybody being over the line of scrimmage. I think it's it's a brilliant concept. They've really done some great things with it. I've Watch Dave Clawson speak in a couple clinics on it, and the running backs coach John Hunter as well. Just an incredible concept. I'm I'm a little surprised that hasn't picked up that slow mesh timing with a lot of other teams. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting how uh, how these things keep evolving. With again, it's fits within that philosophy. Run the setup, the pass. How can I keep faking that run, faking that run? And then try to hit you where, which essentially you said RPOs play action, but almost all of them, and unless it's click screen, key screens, or play uh, pot pass to pot pass offense. And uh, they just found a way to do it with post. 
And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it keeps going. And are we going to be sitting here 20 years from now saying, Hey, you remember, uh, I remember when teams were doing RPOs. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what history tells us. I mean, sometimes I just sit here and wonder, and I'm like, where's the coach that is somehow hooked up with Bill Walsh and is a split back under center coach and, and believes in that, you know, cause to me, if Bill Walsh came back and he was 30 years old right now, would he still run the same offense that he, he innovated in the NFL or college football at Stanford? And I think he would, cause he believes in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, We'll, we'll see. It's, it's all interesting stuff. Yeah. Last thing on Wake, what I did notice a couple years ago is they went from being almost exclusively that slow mesh to doing a little bit more with the quicker mesh, which I thought was a very interesting because I said, you know, on the slow mesh, those linebackers trigger too quick. They're opening up seams. And now, you know, you think about really putting people in an uncomfortable position. Sometimes we slow mesh. Sometimes it's just a regular, you know, regular tempo, regular speed kind of mesh. I, I would think that really starts to, to mess with the defense, you know, those linebackers on you know, when, when am I, I feeling and fitting in this gap? No, it is. And it's, it's interesting with the linebackers because they've caught on. They've had to defend how the backside linebackers are weak side to the back. Uh, if we're in a gun, are, are very mindful of RPOs, whereas the, the front side, play side, that Sam linebacker, they're kind of being taught to trigger. And I, I think what's kind of cool now, and I first kind of saw this maybe two years ago from Ole Miss, is that when they're getting their mesh, whether it's quick or slow, you traditionally for the last 15 years, you got it and you read the end, and then we started reading linebackers and you're looking – where the back is well now they're catching it and not even the quarterback's not even seeing the mesh and he's looking at the sound and he's look are looking to he's way out to the right he can't even see what's going on with the running back and to counter that if they if they trigger it all they're going back away front side rpos and uh, i thought that's a, a great answer to what the defense answered to them and all good stuff. But, you know, one, one story I'll, I'll share with you because we're talking a lot about RPOs and what make RPOs go, just like anything in offense, just like if you're a passing team like we are, is the quarterback. And there's something about RPOs, you know, I've, I've ran them the last seven, eight years. It's, it's really how much we, it depends on how much we run it is the quarterback. Is he a guy – that really has a feel for things and can have kind of a, uh, what I'm trying to say, intuitive feeling to know that's going to be there, or is, is he guessing? Because an old joke is one time we are at Jackson State with Hal and the quarterback we had in read the RPO three times wrong. I mean, we're just running inside zone stick, and he did it three times in a row. Each time should have been gassed, and we kept doing the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. I said, man, Coach Mummy, we're, we're not running RPOs. We're running RPGs, run past guests, <laughs> because he was guessing. And uh, you, you just kind of know, I think taller quarterbacks benefit uh, from this because they can see those second-level defenders real easy. But if you sit there and all of a sudden things are getting completed and you don't overcoach it and he just has a feel for it, I think that's when you you have to go RPO, not just because it's the scheme of the day, but because your quarterbacks has a special ability to do it and effectively. Yeah, I like that run past guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's RPGs. 
Yeah, RPG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's let's flip this a little bit and go to the NFL side of things. And there's definitely some trends in the NFL. Some of it's guys coming from the the same tree, but you know, with with them, it's interesting to see when they get on their own how they add their own flavor to things. So, what are you seeing in the NFL? Oh, I have some new favorite teams to watch because they're starting to be some passes set up to run teams. And the NFL is way more about personnel than the college game. So when you're paying that quarterback millions and millions of dollars, he, he better be the ball in his hands and he's the one that's going to make this thing come and go. And so from a schematic standpoint, the difference is in college, it's about tempo. Let's let's catch a guy not lined up right, abuse him with the RPO. If he's not there, we pop it or we take that guy, you know, 20, 30 yard run. Well, in the NFL, you know, there's there's more practice times. You're not going to catch too many NFL teams slipping with uh, with tempo. You know, in certain cases, defenses get tired, but as a base, that's you know, there there's pros over there too. They're they're going to be ready for that. But what they're doing instead uh, is instead of challenging them to be lined up, they're challenging them to have their uh, assignments correct. And it goes back to McVeigh and Shanahan. And, you know, the run and shoot used to do this, but did it differently, is they motion almost every play. And when somebody goes in motion, you know, a linebacker maybe have to change the front to the line, could change to the coverage. All the defense has to talk. And when that motion happens and somebody miscommunicates, boom. The guy goes down the field, you know, wide open or boom, a gap uncovered, you know, that inside zone, outside zone, just, just found this gap, boom, 20 yards. So you can see it's the, the same type of thing each each offense is trying to get in the college and, and pro, but they're doing it a little bit differently. And I think the pros, what's happening too, is they're doing a, a lot of good job and we can get specific of who I'm talking about is uh, more condensed split, split. So we mentioned Shanahan McVay. Well, the Vikings with Wes Phillips. Absolutely. If you see what Kirk Cousins doing now and one of my new favorite teams, Miami with two super fast receivers that would have been, you know, me and June's types of receivers with Waddle and, and Hill. They almost look like the greatest show on turf when you compare Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce with the speed they have and the concepts they're doing. Well, they're getting in these condensed sets so instead of it, you know, when you're in spread and in the college game and super, you know, these super spread splits, well, the gaps are right there in front of you and it's usually six or seven. Well, when you get so condensed, you're talking about multi, you know, I don't even know what the number is, but if you get into these nasty splits, there's eight, 10, maybe even 11 gaps out there. And what that does is it creates more holes for offense to take advantage of. And then two, it's not so much about, uh, coverage beaters and concepts beaters it's about leverage beaters you might be in cover three and you're supposed to have a guy covered a flat route with your your flat defender but he he outran them to the sideline because they're ahead up and there's so much grass because he's condensed and uh, it's it's interesting what what they're doing with all the motions and I'm, I'm a big fan of it and the speed too the, the speed they're they're electing to get in the draft the condensed sets definitely provide you an advantage you get those speedy receivers and now you have all kinds of grass to, you know for the defense to cover out there plus you're creating those gaps inside right so the thing i see i obviously do it well in the nfl 
I've seen some high school teams trying to do the condensed sets. And, you know, the, the thing I don't see them doing enough is taking advantage of all the space that's created outside too. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, they, they get into this garbage in, in the middle of the field and the quarterback, you know, he doesn't know where to go with the ball, but it's as simple as like, just bring those guys all the way across to all this space over here. It's going to, the picture's going to clear up pretty quick. Right, and I'll tell you another reason why I like the condense as well. And now we're going to flip it and think what the defense is. And maybe we're talking about the give up match defense for deep. Please don't hurt. Not, not so much please don't hurt me defense where they just play prevent, but they're trying to match. And so if you go out there and you get in these wide splits, the defense is going, hey, uh, we can put seven in the box, the will and the Sam, and this is this is talking four down, the will and the Sam will, will help in the run game, that seven-man box, and then hope, hope, great, we got three over two on our left and three over two on our right, talking about an outside linebacker, safety, and a corner. Well, that that's all great when we split out wide for you and everything is kind of in front of you and you can see the routes that are happening. And there's times to do that when you're trying to create maybe an ISO one-on-one -on -one at the corner, linebacker, safety, whatever. But when you condense and you're trying to say three over two, three over two here, well, what, what happens when, let's say, the right side Y and Z go vertical? And so they've matched it. You know, they got three over two, they're matching. And the, the Y or the H on the other side, is running a crossing route. Now all of a sudden you can change the distribution, the match distribution from it being two by two to three by one, or even flood the field with the running back and be four by one in, in the snap of a football. And so that's creating a lot of match problems as well. And, and so what's the answer there? Do we man? Well, what, what if we go mesh with that tight condensed split? It goes back to what you just said, <laughs> that, that drag route's gonna be running for days. And so it's, it's interesting stuff. And I'll give you one more thing I like about it too. Uh, I call it nasty, where the X and the Z line up five yards from the tackle, the, uh, the Y and the H adjust accordingly, whether or not it's one to three yards from the, the tackle or whatever. I see so many times with teams that split out wide and they go third and one, third and two, and they run inside zone to try to get it and it bounces out and the receiver can't help the will or the Sam and that guy shoots in and makes the play because he's the the receiver so split out as outside leverage well with these nasty splits I'm thinking specifically of a, a Dolphins play versus the Patriots everybody went in to stop the inside zone well now since the splits are so close the Z and the Y go and help on that Sam outside linebacker and then when it gets stuffed and he bounces out well instead of somebody in his face it's a foot race to the sideline. And because you condense, now you have this chance of a big play if they oversell the, the middle of the line of scrimmage and he can bounce out and get five, 10, 20 yards. And especially if the corner misses or gets blocked, sucked in. And sometimes when it's one-on-one -on -one with the corner, that's a, that's a great matchup. <laughs> you know, you're telling me our running back is going to be one-on-one -on -one with the corner to get the, the first down here because we condense splits. I, I like that matchup, you know, so... There's a lot of a lot of cool things going on with condense in the NFL. Yeah, I think the other thing you see out of it too, and I saw it from the Jets yesterday, a little bit on Miles Garrett. You get in those condensed sets, and it really doesn't matter who it is. It could be a tight end, it could be a receiver. It's stuff um, you know I, I've used before when we had to stop one of those kind of guys. Is you know you use that nudge protection or, or go inside and chip him first. He's yep. not even looking at you, you know, and, and now making that job so much easier 
on the tackle. And those guys are still then able to get into their route or get across the field. Exactly. It helps with the protections as well, because you can, you, you can chip from almost four different guys right there. So, uh, you know, chiefs have been doing this. I, I think what uh, my, my, fondness of it is of lately watching it this year you know we're only two games in is some of these guys before have been you know run to set up the pass and a lot of this was to help exploit some gaps and exploit some play actions and, and hit them deep and it's usually under center play action which you know let's talk about lower levels uh, especially high school football if you don't have the offensive line whew, that's the ask your quarterback to get under center and play action it's, it's it's not easy uh you, you got to have the guys and that's where half of football to me being an offensive coordinator is you deciding personnel and what you do with that personnel um it's it's big decisions uh right there and saying that what i'm liking about it is specifically with the vikings in miami is they're getting in the gun and doing the exact same thing and you know they'll get into play action stuff but now what's always been the advantage with the gun is you catch it and you see it now you know you never turn your back to the defense and you can get it out immediately so uh you know Tua and cousins are getting the ball out quick or they hold on to it and, and if they found one of the exploitations we're talking about with with the motion and the, the condensed splits and send that thing on down the field, baby. Exactly. Well, you're gearing up for the season. You'll get going in, in January. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're not new to the spring leagues. You know, you've been there before in some of the spring leagues that there's been so many now, um, mm -hmm. it seemed like uh, there was that little bit of uh, more of a college flavor to the offenses yet. You would still see some of the, the pro concepts being involved. Where do you see the spring leagues evolving to as far as the way they'll attack with offense? And, and again, with the idea that in some ways, you know, you got a lot of guys you're trying to highlight and showcase. I think it all depends on the coordinators and uh, who's in charge with as far as the offense and who the quarterback is. Uh, because if you looked at other spring leagues, they uh, did not compare to what we had in the XFL the first time. And uh, this is different philosophies. And I think the XFL had much better quarterback play. And uh, it, it always goes back to whether or not it's RPOs, drop back pass, you know, the quarterback and can he execute and it, is it fundamentally sound. And the history of spring leagues has shown you our style of offense uh, whether it was Hal, June, uh, or myself and in in, in these other deals, uh, going back to even uh, Mouse Davis in the 80s and June and John Jenkins, our style of air raid and run and shoot has always had success because it's fewer plays and it's repped over and over and over again. And when you only have a few weeks to put together a team and go out there, almost like a, a you know an all-star game format, that type of mentality has, has been successful as opposed to trying to put in an NFL playbook in a few weeks and think you're going to get an NFL install in. Now, if you know, as we continue on in years down the road and even with our offense, stuff will continue to get added in with continuity. But I think less is more in leagues like this, and it's just all depending on the coordinator if they believe that or not. Coach, you're always innovating. Uh, that's how I first met you. I think we were at AFCA and you were showing off VAR systems. And now I know you've been evolving the tempo system as well. We've talked about that on 
the podcast before. So what's the update you have for us on tempo? Well, tempo is, is still rocking. It's how I watch all my games. I get sent to me in all 22 that are just, you know, 30 minute long clips. So I would uh, tell anybody that has either a PC or Mac jump on tempo. You could see a play that you want to export it and just have that clip or save it and be like, oh, it's at minute 22 and it timestamps. So when you open it, you have all your data right there. In fact, uh, I have all my seasons the last five years going back to before the XFL on tempo to where I just open the whole season. And then I say, Hey, show me, uh, you know, choice and it shows up and then I can do whatever with it and break it down. So it is the personal video system for coaches outside of, you know, huddle and other traditional platforms that does a lot of stuff you can't do with it. And so I would, uh, going over to tempovideo.com and you mentioned virtual reality though, though that hasn't changed other than the fact that you know I have about eight years worth of uh, film now <laughs> of the same concept so it's pretty cool that when we train in the XFL you know we'll put on the headset and uh, start looking at what we did at, in Florida NAIA program that went to the playoffs we'll start looking at uh, Jackson State with how mummy we'll start looking at the Hamilton Tiger Cats what we did there uh xfl and some other uh, other uh, spring leagues and uh what we did at tyler junior college this last year and have, have a lot of different concepts and variations and it's i always tell people it's the biggest secret that's not a secret if you if you believe in the drop back pass you better double your seven on seven and team rates by letting the quarterback be able to slow it down and see it from his perspective and uh it's a fraction of the cost you know tempo is like nine bucks a month well, if you go anywhere else, you know, virtual reality, $60,000, $70,000. I think they maybe got it down to fifty. Well, ours is, you know, 6000 one-time fee, and you get to own the computer and the headset and the camera. It's not rented out. You don't send it back, and it's yours to keep. And uh, it's it's the deal for anyone who's serious about the drop back pass. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I really do believe – uh, that that's a huge training tool that, that people have available to them. Of course, until augmented reality really starts kicking in, but that's a conversation for another time. So AJ, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really excited for you about the XFL, the reboot of the XFL and what you guys are going to do there and uh, look forward to what you do and, and having you back afterwards. Awesome. I appreciate it.